0: I'm glad you're here. I missed the last couple of weeks, so um, I'm anxious to to get back in. Um, so there are, well, what I'd like to talk about today is there's sort of a, a, a grand kind of uh, pattern in, in reality, existence, if you will, that um, when you hear it, I'm going to give you several examples of this, very sort of broad sweeping examples, and you'll see it's kind of Indisputable. I mean, there they are. So, but um, you know, there's such a there's such a barrage of information that we have in our lives that sometimes it's hard to see the the greater patterns. So, so, uh, and it's so important to be in touch with the big picture because the big picture has to inform the details. So often um, in life, the the details are driving the uh, driving. Our, our, our lives and what, what they do is sometimes they're just um, exceptions to rules or whatever it is and so we think we're walking through doorways and we're slamming into walls because we're not starting from the big picture and applying it to the smaller details in our life and that's that is that is that's that's essential that's essential you know we've said it before but just as a Before we go into this particular pattern, the the broad ideas that we have to apply in general to our lives is that there is a God, God is one, God is involved in every aspect of our life, and God is good. That, if if you only know that, you know a lot, you know a lot, so, because that will get you through all the doorways in life. And then you need more specific in- information if you want to further refine yourself. So what I'd like to do is, is suggest um, another, um, another uh, paradigm, if you will, in terms of understanding existence. So without um, further delay, maybe I'll start with a... Um well, let me just make the point. The point is that here is, here is the pattern of reality. You ready? It goes like this. You begin with oneness. You go into a more fractured state or a, a perception of multiplicity. And then you return to oneness. That's it. That's reality. That's the history of the world. That's our lives on an individual level. That's our lives as a nation. And that's the entire cosmic flow right there. It goes from oneness to the perception of multiplicity back to oneness. Okay, I'm going to give you several examples to show you that this that this is for real. Okay, so maybe we'll begin with, Maybe we'll begin with the knowledge of the oneness of God, because that's, that's very important. So, so, a lot of people, you know, you can't give Abraham Avinu, Abraham our forefather, too much credit. It's impossible to give him too much credit. However, there is one thing that they say about Abraham that isn't exactly true, which is that he's the first one who discovered monotheism, or the oneness of God. That, that's, that's almost true, but it actually isn't completely true, and then it creates a more fundamental misunderstanding about exactly the history of the knowledge of God. Um, as Rabbi Steinsultz points out, and he makes this point, is that what Avram Avinu did was he restored the knowledge of the oneness of God to the world. Now, he came up with it independently, that's true, but what he was doing was he was returning a piece of information that the world knew and had forgotten. So now let me make the point. Remember, we're talking about a pattern here. It begins with oneness, then it goes to the perception of multiplicity of many different factors, and then it returns to the knowledge of oneness. So how does it, how does it go with the history of the knowledge of God? Well, it began with, Ad, with Adam Harisham. Adam knew very clearly there's one God. So the world begins with a very crystalline, very crystal clear knowledge of the oneness of God. Then that, that became corrupted because people started to perceive um, intermediaries. Um, as the Rambam explains, um, a king has a retinue. A king has uh, ministers who surround him and it 's appropriate to give honor to the ministers of the king that is appropriate because they are also uh, very honored uh, personages and so what happened was people perceived the the sun and the moon and the and rain and all these um, emissaries of God, and they began to honor these emissaries of god and then what happened was the emissaries of God took on a reality in their consciousness independent of God himself. And so what they would do is they would set up idols or pictures or whatever it is of, say, rain, because they wanted rain for their crops, right? And then they would bring offerings to these images of rain. Now, and so, so this, you can see, quickly descended into idol worship. As these entities, these intermediaries, became personalities themselves. But it began with a very clear knowledge of the oneness of God, which was Adam, right? Then it falls into idol worship. And then Abraham, Abraham Avinu comes and then restores the knowledge of God to the world, of the oneness of God. Okay, so you see very clearly here. It begins with oneness. It descends into this multiplicity, this, this, this idea of um, many gods. And then it becomes restored back to oneness with Abraham. Everyone see the pattern there? Okay. Now, by the way, our work is still ongoing. Our job is still to complete this as children of Abraham. Our job is to, you know, fully realize this, um, this communication to the world as a light unto the nations of the oneness of God. And by the way, the Rambam says that that this is really the essence of Christianity and Islam, which is taking this very important mission, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the oneness of God, and communicating it to the world, as sort of like a way of laying the groundwork for this final, ultimate knowledge, which, which we have to communicate. So so all of the peoples who are spreading the oneness of God, according to the Rambam, are, are participating in this ongoing mission of being this... Um, this light, okay, but but we have to lead the charge. That's uh, what God charged us with, okay. So now, now let's see another example of oneness going into multiplicity and then back to oneness, okay. Um, you see this with Torah. The Gomorrah says in Gemara um, in Masechet that when we're in our mother's womb. An angel comes and teaches us the entire Torah. And then when we're born, the angel touches us over our top lip. That's where we get that little indentation. We forget the whole Torah. We forget everything. And then the process of being in this world is relearning the Torah or remembering the Torah. So again, you have another example. It begins with oneness. You know the whole Torah. Then it descends back into oblivion, if you will. And then it becomes restored. We have to know, and we have to learn the Torah again. Okay, let's see another example of this. By the way, you see that with the giving of the Torah itself, because when we got the first tablets, the first luchos, it says that these luchos were were amazing. There were amazing series of miracles contained in these in these tablets. But um, if you learn it even in an even more deep way. The Beis HaLevi um, uh, has a whole essay on this, um, which is that the Torah Shabbat, the oral law, better known as the Talmud, was also ingrained on the tablets. So you had the written law and the oral law all on these miraculous tablets. Everything was there. Then they get smashed. So we lose everything. So you have oneness, real oneness, because you have the entire Torah on this first set of tablets. They get smashed, everything goes away, and then they get restored. So it's back to oneness, however, with a PS, which is that we then become the oral law, and then we have to work to restore that aspect. So the Torah actually goes into us in an amazing way. Because we have to steig, as they say. We have to work in order to bring out those teachings that are originally there on the tablets themselves. But again, you have completion, oneness with the Torah. It gets smashed. And now, it returns. Plus this PS of having to be a light unto the nations, if you will, in terms of communicating the oneness of God, or restoring the oral law, which is our job in terms of digging it out and completing it. So, so you see an ongoing task in terms of the, the restoration of the oneness there too. But again, another example of oneness, multiplicity, back to oneness. Okay, You see it also in terms of marriage, in terms of our individual souls. We start off as one soul in Shemayim, that's oneness. Then we split into different bodies in this world, that's multiplicity. Then you go into the chuppah and it becomes oneness again. So again, you see this in terms of the knowledge of the oneness of God. You see this in terms of the giving of the Torah, both on an indi- individual level and on a historic level, on a national level. You see this in terms of our own individual lives in terms of marriage. Okay. Give you another example. You know, in in, in Torah uh, hashkafa, Torah philosophy, Israel is not just a land. Israel represents redemption. So, getting to Israel really means the perfection of the world, okay, on a, on a deeper level. So, what's so interesting is, when you, when, you, when you talk about the idea of you've got Moshe, right, and the children of Israel, and they've got to get to the land of Israel, right? We've got to get to the land of Israel. God gave us Israel, we've got to get to Israel. There's one problem with that. Where were we before Egypt? In Israel. It's not that we got to get to Israel. we got to get back to Israel. Right? We started off in Israel. Abraham was in Israel. Yitzchak never left Israel. Wasn't allowed to leave Israel. Yaakov was in Israel. So we start off in Israel. Then... We go down into slavery. What is slavery? Slavery is the perception of multiplicity, right? An enslaved mentality is one who doesn't see the oneness of God, the hand of God. And then we got to get back to Israel. And we get back to Israel. All right, but we, again, we still haven't gotten back in the complete sense. So always it's oneness falling into perception of either desolation or multiplicity and then getting back to the oneness, but that oneness is, in some instances, not complete until Mashiach comes. Okay? As we've seen in a couple of examples. So, so for instance, you know, one of the things that is really kind of mind-blowing, if you think about it, in the Haggadah, I'm told that they read in Israel, at the end of the Haggadah, they say, next year in Yerushalayim. So, we're already in Israel. So, what are they talking about next year in Yerushalayim? They're talking about Mashiach. Talking about Mashiach. That until the Migdash comes back and Mashiach comes, even our dwelling in Israel isn't the complete dwelling in Israel. So, so on some level, we're back in Israel, but not yet completely. So, that, that final oneness is still a work in progress until Mashiach comes. All right. Let's talk about the perfection of the world. We start off in the Garden of Eden. That's oneness. Right? That's total oneness. Then we get kicked out. So now we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. So we descend into this notion of multiplicity again. Like, who's running the world? What's going on? And when Mashiach comes, that will be the final restoration of oneness again. Back to oneness. Okay, so hopefully, I started by, um, by suggesting that there's a very big pattern to the world, which is you start off with oneness, then you dip down to this period where it seems like you don't know what's going on, and then you have the restoration of oneness. So that's the destiny of us in our own lives, that's the destiny of us as a nation, as a people. And that's the destiny of the entire world itself. So, so, what do we do with this information? Now that we see the pattern, what do we do with this information? So, I want to share with you a teaching from Rabbi um, Moshe Shapiro, Shwita, who says something very interesting about Shabbos. You see, we have, this, we have this notion about Shabbos, which is that it's a little bit of Gan Eden. And it is, if you think about it. It really is like entering into the Garden of Eden. Because the Garden of Eden, like, everything was prepared for us. We didn't really have to, we didn't really have to labor by the sweat of our brow to get bread and all all, things like this. And when you enter into Shabbos, you know, really, you know, it's so beautiful if you can set your Shabbos table early in the day. It's such a, um, I can tell you, you know, I'm, I'm privileged to... I don't do it, so I can't take credit for it. But I'm privileged to live in a home where where the table is set early in the day. And so, you, you get to see it, you know? You get to see the oneness which is awaiting you. You get to see it. Even during the week, there's the Shabbos table. It's all set up. It's beautiful. So... Um, and then when Shabbos comes... It's like Shabbos is a set table in that all the food's been bought, all the meals have been prepared, and so you don't have to labor. It's all there. The day itself is a set table, which is like the Garden of Eden. That's, that's one one instance of how it's like the Garden of Eden. So, so, everybody knows that when Shabbos comes, you stop your work. Every Everything really stops. And that's that's one of the... You know, you know. I heard Reb Shlomo say, why, one of the reasons, why is it so important, uh, just on a level of holiness, of Kedusha, that we all keep Shabbos? Because, you know, you have many mitzvahs that Hashem has given us, and every one is a diamond, but it's not every mitzvah that Hashem Himself calls a gift. Shabbos, Hashem Himself tells us, I've given you a gift. So, you know, can you imagine if someone gives you a gift and then you go, oh, no, thank you. What? (laughs) No, I'm giving you this awesome gift. I got you this gift. It's so good, really. You're going to love this. Oh, thanks, but no thanks. What? You're not even going to open it? Yeah. I'm really not in a period in my life where I can open that present. (laughs) What? Really? Mm -hmm. Um, So... So anyway, and you know, we all have to try. You know, it's a, it's a process. Shabbos is a big thing, so you take on a little bit at a time. You know, whatever you can do, and and hopefully you go forward with it. Um, but but the point is, is that when like I know in my life, I I was once on a set. Uh, it was on a show actually called The Tick, which um, which. Uh, was seen and absolutely beloved by by nine people <laughs> yeah. it was the live action version it, it you know something shouldn 't become instantly a cult classic but that was <laughs> that one that one did but anyway, any of you superhero fans you know if you get the dvd you 'll enjoy it it 's quite a quite an amazing series anyway, I remember I was on the set one time when we were filming and um, you know, Shabbos was coming, and I had to leave, you know. And it wasn't a crisis at this point. You know, I had permission and everything like that. Just, it was just time to go, you know. And I remember I went up to the... We had a, a guest actress that week, and so I just... You know, she had done a very good job. I just wanted to say uh, thank you and so long to her. And they were right in the middle of a big scene, and it was, you know, we were right in the middle of taping this thing. It was a big deal, you know. And I just went up to her, and I said, listen... Uh, You know, she she knew I was the executive producer, uh, one of them anyway. And I went up and I said, "Hey, listen, um, thanks a lot. You know, you were great. I'll see you later." And she was like, "What? You're (laughs) we're in the middle of a shoot. Where are you going?" (laughs) It's like I got to (laughs) go. I just waved and left. And you know, she she couldn't comprehend that that there's such a thing as stopping. That you just stop. You know. And so Shabbos is like this stop. And I, I I know in my own life, every once in a while, I, I like to refer to it as Fortress Shabbos, which is sort of like, you can't get me. You know, I'm in my own... You, no, I'm not picking up the phone. You know what? It's not even going to ring. You know, it's funny. Someone told me that... I went to a talk uh, not too long ago, and someone... Uh, Someone told me that um, he, he, he keeps Shabbos and, uh, and, and it was a whole long series of tiny little things that he did over a period of time that ultimately led to him keeping Shabbos fully. And the very, very first thing that he did, he's a very busy, thank God, very busy, successful successful person. The very first thing that he did in terms of beginning to keep Shabbos was turning off his phone uh, before Shabbos started. And and uh, and I heard another, I heard a big rabbi say, actually, that the thing that, the, the, the Shabbos preparation that he actually enjoys the most is the act of turning off his phone before Shabbos starts. And you know, it's funny, because, thank God I've been keeping it for a while now, but um, I never turned off my phone, I just wouldn't answer it. And I would never even hear it ring. I would just put it away, and it was never an issue of it ringing ever. So I never really thought, like, you know, it's a big deal turning it off. You know, like, what do I need that for? But recently, I started turning it off, and I can tell you, if you don't do it, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it really is. It's sort of like you just go, ah, all right. You know, there's something <laughs> there's something very empowering about it. It's it's hard to explain if you if you if you haven't experienced it, but try it out. Um, you know, I i tell you something, and this isn't, God forbid, to make fun or to to belittle or to diminish, but just to, just to make a point of contrast, because I do think that's important. I was once describing Shabbos to a big Hollywood agent, and um, he says, yeah, you know something, I do the same thing. I mean, it's not Shabbos, I don't keep Shabbos or anything like that, but this type of thing that you're talking about, I also do it. And I said, really, What? what, do you, what tell me, you know, I'm interested, what, what do you do? And he said, on Saturday, I do some gardening. And, you know, that's not Shabbos. It, and it's not even close to Shabbos. And again, I'm not, I'm not putting him down, and I'm not saying that what he's doing isn't full of relaxation, and that he doesn't get into a harmonious mode with life and creation everything like that. But what we're talking about is Gardening with no interruptions for 25 hours, and during that period of gardening, you're also eating fantastic food and celebrating with friends and community. And you know, you don't that it, there's dimensions and dimensions beyond just sort of like getting into sort of like a, a bit of a groove, you know, with nature. It's beyond that. It's a, it's a different consciousness. Because, and I I think I even asked him, what do you do when the phone rings in your garden? And he says, well, I answer the phone. So, so anyway, I remember when I first started keeping Shabbos, um, you know, it's really hard because it's, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And it's like, oh man, what is this? And then all of a sudden, after a period of time, it hit me. You mean I get to do nothing? (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden, then you discover what this eternal thing is. this, This consciousness, which is really experiential. can't really be explained. But it takes... Because it's such a radically different rhythm of living your life, it takes a while to adjust to. I remember... Uh, one of my best, best friends, I, I was with him when he kept his first Shabbos, and it was really funny, because it was the longest Shabbos of the year, <laughs> and this person, God bless him, isn't um, averse to uh, expressing what's bothering him when it's when something's bothering him, <laughs> and he's very funny about it, but anyway, this was the longest Shabbos of the year, and he made that known more than once over the course of it, and it was sort of like, really, literally dragging himself to the finish line, and then um, you have to have a little bit of a background to understand this next part, the the humor of this next part, but I think the people here will get this, so he finally makes it across this is like, you know, deep into August right, makes it across it's like, ah, ah, and then somebody yells out, Kiddush (laughs) Lavana (laughs) <laughs> and that is so Kiddush Lavana is what we do once a month, it's a separate new service after Shabbos is over <laughs> and that was just like, you know, it was sort of like taking this person who was barely breathing and putting him in the meat grinder, you know I mean, it was just, it was hilarious in retrospect, but at the moment he he was quite a heroic to have gotten through that um but um, we haven't gotten to the idea yet here. The, the deeper idea is like this: that it's not just that it's not just that you're that you're stopping work, and it's not just that there's a little taste of Gan Eden of the Garden of Eden. Basically, you're tapping into Mashiach the Zman Hatikun the time of completion once a week. You're pulling that down into the world and into your life. Um, I'm not positive I've communicated the point. Let Let me just try to explain a little bit further. It's not just that you're sort of saying, I'm stopping work right now in order to try to create a little bit of the Garden of Eden in my life. Or, one day... The world will be rectified, and so I want to live life a little bit as though it's in that period right now. It's not either of those things. On a deeper level, you're actually pulling that aspect of redemption and perfection, which the world is destined toward, and you're pulling it into the world at that moment. That very thing, you're pulling into the world at that moment, and you're experiencing a taste of that coming perfection but not like the perfection, the perfection itself. That thing itself, that ultimate destiny of humanity, the Mashiach, the Zman in the time of fixing and perfection that's coming into the world, you're actually bringing it into the world at that moment. See, remember, God exists outside of time. Time is a creation. See, you see, I think some people give this um, uh, some of the physicists, or Einstein, I'm not, uh, I'm not an authority on this subject, but some people credit some of the modern-day scientists and, and physicists with the idea that the notion that time is a creation. You should know that the Vilna Gon and probably way back before then, so this is already the 1700s, when he looked at the Torah and he says, Vreshis bara, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created. That means God created such a thing as a beginning. Well, isn't a beginning an aspect of time? Without time, you don't have the concept of a beginning, right? You know what? You know what he says? He says, De Vilna Gon is saying that God, that's a reference to the creation of time. That when God created the world, he also created time. We've known this for a very long time. We're really smart, by the way, in case we all haven't figured that out. So, time itself is a creation, which means that God exists outside of time, which means the past, the present, and the future is all before Hashem. He sees it all. Okay, so, how do you have free choice then, if God knows what's going to happen? So this is only a problem if you imagine God confined to the parameters of our dimension. Okay? God exists many dimensions beyond us. So what appears to be a problem for us that's intractable and the ultimate paradox is, is not to God because He's got a much broader perspective of existence itself. So... So that's a mistake that people make when they try to understand free choice versus predetermination. That's only like, um, you know, it's sort of like, well, you have to use the red chalk or the white chalk, but you can't use either pieces of chalk. Well, then how do I get out of that? Well, but what if there's a truck store next to you that you don't see? I don't know. Anyway, I don't think that works. But you get the idea. That God is working with certain tools that we don't have, is the point. So, um, so what's the point? The point is, is that on some level, Mashiach is already here. But because we're contained within time, we don't have access to that. Okay. But on Shabbos, we gain access to it. We're able to bring that energy into the world, that energy which actually exists. But because of the confines of time, we don't have access to it yet. But there are certain times when we can access this mashiach energy into our lives right now. Okay? So... So now with this in mind you have this um you have this concept um sort of more formally expressed um they qu- they talk about the, re- the, the 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 reflective light i believe it's called the or um i have to check that um but I know Rabbi Wolfson in particular talks about the idea that uh, Tuba Av, the 15th of the month of Av, is a very, very great day in the Jewish calendar. And the Gemara talks about it at length and says all the amazing things that have happened on the 15th of Av. Perhaps the main thing that happened was that the decree of the 40 years of wandering in the desert ended. So that that's pretty big. But but it compares, the Gomorrah compares it, says it's one of the happiest days of the year, and um, and that it really can only be compared to Yom Kippur. So, so, anyway, Rabbi Wolfson says that, well, wait a second, you know something? It's true, a lot of great things happened historically on Tuba'av, but it doesn't seem to be enough for it to have that level imp- of importance to the sages, so he says, you know what it is? He says that that day is reflecting, it's bringing down the light of the future redemption. The Or Choser. So what we have here is an example with Shabbos, that's probably the best example, where we're actually able to bring down some of that light right now. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because it sounds like I I switched topics. If you remember, we started the whole talk with a, a big pattern that exists in Torah in our understanding of the world, which is that the world begins with oneness and then it descends into multiplicity and then it returns back to oneness. And we gave several examples of this. We said how the Torah, how we learn the whole Torah in the womb and then we forget it and then Our act, our job in life is to remember it. how in terms of Israel, we started off in Israel, right, with Abraham, and then we go down into Egypt and then we have to get back to Israel. We talked about it in terms of marriage, how you start off as one soul and then you split into two souls, and then under the chuppah you come back to one soul. We talked about it in terms of the knowledge of the oneness of God, how it started with Adam HaRisha, and then it descended into idol worship, and then it comes back with Abraham Avinu, we talked about it in terms of perfection itself. How we start off in the Garden of Eden and then we descend into exile and then we're waiting for Mashiach to restore that aspect of, of perfection into the world. So what I'm trying to say is, is that is that all of us right now in our own lives are in the middle. This world is in the middle. We're in the middle. But we have this awesome tool where we're able to usher in a taste of Mashiach into our lives right now. Mashiach, the time of fixing, represents the ultimate restoration of oneness. Where it says that the knowledge of God will fill the world like the waters fill the ocean. Now, think about that. Like the waters fill the ocean. What is the ocean? It's water. So in other words, we're talking about the complete the complete swimming in the knowledge of the oneness of God. I mean, that's an expression of total completion. The, like the waters fill the ocean. That means absolute total, total knowledge, total awareness. Now, so, so this is our job right now. You know, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Torahs from Rib Shlomo. Is He says, you know, everybody loves you when you're a grape, and everybody loves you when you're wine. People love finished products. They love you when you're a grape, and they love you when you're wine. He says, but do you know what a grape has to go through before it becomes wine? How much it has to be stepped on and crushed? Right? He says, who loves you then? He says, the people who love you then when you're in between, those are your real friends. Right? So, I want to add to that Torah. It's contained within the Torah itself, but I just want to add to it, which is that the world is also in between right now. Right? The world hasn't become finished wine yet. It's still pretty messy. The world's pretty messy right now. A lot of perception of loose ends. So, who loves God now while the world is in between? Right? So if you love God now, while the world is in between, then you're a real friend of God's. So, in terms of our own lives, we have to understand that if you feel like you're in between, if you feel like everything is pretty much messed up, or there's a lot of multiplicity, or a lot of fractiousness in your life, that is the general order and pattern of existence. From oneness to a fractured state back to oneness. Okay? So, our job is to draw down that light. The future light, the Orchozer. That future light of oneness and we bring it down. Now, Shabbos is the ultimate tool for that. That is the ultimate tool for that. You know, because that really restores order into the world in the most phenomenal way. In the most phenomenal way. But there are many, many ways of doing it. There are many, many ways of doing it. All of the mitzvahs, remember, we have this amazing rule, which is that every mitzvah contains a little taste of every other mitzvah. Okay, now that doesn't mean that, um, you know, by putting on tefillin, I've kept the mitzvah of... Keeping Shabbos, but a little bit it does. I mean, not technically. I haven't. I haven't kept Shabbos. If I'm not keeping Shabbos, I'm just putting on tefillin. However, every mitzvah contains a little taste of every other mitzvah in the entire Torah. So, what I'm trying to say is, is that every mitzvah has a revelation of the oneness of God that's communicated into it, and has a restoration of oneness in this world. So the mitzvahs are really this awesome tool. Now, I've been very careful with my words today. And so I just want to now make a point that I've sort of been making all along, but just in a very obscure way, which is I've said that it goes from oneness to the perception of multiplicity. Now, in other words, it never stops being oneness, is the point. It's just our perception. You know, my father... As I've mentioned many times, was a psychologist, Olave Shalom, um, and uh, practiced for fifty years. And one of the things he would he would say to us, he would raise us with these certain catchphrases, which were his rules of psychotherapy, basically. And it, it was great. You know, we were very privileged to hear all these things. And one of the things that he would repeat all the time is, "You don't deal with peop- with the truth." He was talking about in terms of therapy. You don't deal with the truth. You deal with people's perception of the truth. Right? You have, to, you have to put yourself in their shoes and get inside their head and work with how they're understanding the world. You can't just hit them over the head and go, no, you're wrong. You're an idiot. That's not it. It's this. If that doesn't work, that's not therapeutic. Being called an idiot is not therapeutic. You know? So... You have to get inside someone's head and then work with their, with their wiring, basically. You know, because we cross wires all the time. It's almost impossible not to cross wires in getting through life. I want to give you an example. And I was actually trying to make what I'm about to tell you the main topic of this talk, which is very appropriate for me since it's coming about 40 minutes into the talk. I sort of have a problem with these talks, by the way. You kind of have to listen to the whole thing, you know? But, or, actually, the problem is you don't have to listen to them at all. That's, that's the real problem, but anyway. Oftentimes, the good stuff is at the end, but that, that, that aside, I, I don't know if this will fall into that category, but it is something that hit me that I thought might be helpful to people, which is the following. You know, I'll give you an example from my own from my own life, but um, this happens to us all of the time, and all of us can give examples of this. I'm going to give an example. Of it. There was a project that I was doing a few years ago that I needed money for. It was you know it was something it was Jewish Impact Films actually, um, uh, and it's an expensive project to to run, even though I think it's very worthwhile and wonderful. So anyway, I found out that there's this. Uh, well, I don't want to give too much information. All right. So, so because, because, anyway, I'll try to say it in a more hidden way. So, the idea is that there's, he's, he's not American, and he's incredibly charitable. He's doing amazing things. He's really, really helping the Jewish people phenomenally, this person. So, I thought, well, this might be one more project that this person might be interested in. Possibly. Then, I find out that I have an article that I've written that just through some odd set of circumstances, um, from Hashem, obviously, the, someone offered to translate this article that I've written into this pretty obscure language, which happens to be his language. So I'm thinking... And this is all coming together at the same time. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And it was like one of the favorite things that I've ever written. I'm thinking, wow. Everything is coming together. Right? He's going to be able to read this article in his own language, which he's going to love. And this is the type of project that he'd be interested in supporting anyway. It's all coming together. Okay, he didn't, he wasn't interested. (laughs) That's the end of that story. Okay, now, I want you all to take a moment <laughs> to, to, to come up with your own version of this story that I, that I just told. And I'll point you to it, which is like, for instance, I, I, I knew, well, again, I don't want to give too much information, but sometimes you meet a person, let's say you're single, you meet a person and it's on this, holy day, and they've got this particular name, which is everything, you know, it's sort of like, how can you have this name from the Parsha on this day? And uh, and you're thinking, this is so Bashar, and then it's not the one. Then it turns out not to be the one. Alright, or, you know something, there's this job opportunity, and I can't believe it because I met this guy, and this guy knows that guy, who knows that guy. Everything's coming together. It has to be and then it doesn't happen. Right? So what I'm talking about is crossing wires. I'm talking about crossing wires. Now, there's a very major point for me anyway, a very major point in terms of because listen, I once described this talk as couples therapy between us and God. That's that's what it is on some level, you know? Because basically that's all we have in the world, you know? You can kid yourself and think that you've got something else in the world, but all you have is your relationship with God. It's the only thing that can't be taken away from you. For better or for worse, we should all have wonderful things and be zolche to keep them, right? But when it all boils down to it, it's you and God, you know? So, you've got to make sure that your relationship with God is in a good place. Because that's, that's, that's your life, you know? And that, that will be our eternal life. Um... So, you know, by the way, just to, one of the points that I've been trying to, and I think I made a a bit of a breakthrough. I was told last night, so I was really happy about this. In terms of the day school system, the yeshiva system, in uh, America anyway, and maybe outside of America as well, the kids, this is my observation as a parent, and as someone who didn't go through the, the yeshiva system, the kids are taught a lot of, of information, information that I never knew growing up, like Rashi's and Chumash, and Halachas, all, all sorts of fantastic stuff. But creating a relationship with God or teaching them how to have a relationship with God, which is kind of the main point of the whole thing, that isn't given over. And I said to the head of one of the big schools here, I said, can you imagine teaching kids about baseball all day and then you're never playing baseball? Right? So, as we get into life, what's the most important thing is, is what we call dveikaskite. Dveikaskite means cleaving to God. That means having a relationship with God. That's what, that's that's the bottom line of everything. Of course, we also have mitzvahs and halachas and all the rest. But, that's it. You want to have the relationship with God. Now, if you know a few Rashi's less or more, that's valuable, but that's not the point. The point is to have a relationship with God. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. So, obviously, Torah and mitzvahs are going to, if they're done properly, bring you to a heightened relationship with God. Right? And I'm not saying that you can have a relationship with God and not do the other stuff. I'm not saying that either. You need both. But, I'm saying that the essence that everyone has to drive toward is that beautiful, intimate, ongoing relationship. Okay, so now. So, anything that threatens to undermine that relationship, we have to really be aware. Of. So, that's the point that I'm getting to, and now let me return back to it. So, I've just made a prophetic observation, which is that this billionaire is going to read my article and support my project. Did God say that or did I say that? (laughs) Who said that exactly? I said that. He didn't, God didn't say that. I said that. I determined that. Alright? Now, after I've determined that this person who I met on the pizza parlor and I got change back 26 cents which is the gamachi of the name of God, while I'm standing with this guy who I think is, you know, handsome or this girl is pretty, it must be the completion that's my other half, right? Who said that? Did God say that or did I say that? God didn't say that. I said that. Alright, now watch where this is going because I think we can all relate to this. Now that I have made this prophetic announcement, based on what? Based on what? Based on nothing. Okay? I mean, because I made a what we say a duke. I made some sort of inference, right? Now, it doesn't work out. Now, you ready for this? Now, it doesn't work out because God never said it to begin with. I said it. Now, it doesn't work out. And who do I blame? I say, God, how, how could you have done that to me? I put my faith in you. And this is what you did to me? God never did it to begin with. He never did it to begin with. You see, I took my amuna. I took my faith. And I thought I was depositing it in the bank. But I wasn't depositing it in the bank. I was depositing it in a hope or a wish or a perception all coming from the purest highest place but I wasn't putting my trust in God I was putting my trust in some sort of thing that I kind of made up It was coming from a good place that I clothed in the robes of Torah right? because what was I saying I wasn't saying that you know you know 26 is I did get 26 cents (laughs) and that is the gematria of the holy name of Hashem I mean that's indisputable right so I mean where was I coming from I was coming from the best place not from a bad place from a good place so now you see so what's the answer the answer is that we have to deposit our trust in God meaning that I have faith in God, whatever's coming is is going to be good. All right, today it's hard. Tomorrow it's hard again. The next day it's hard again. But God is good. There's a reason for all this. You know, I I once heard the, the distinction between pain and suffering. What's pain? What's suffering? Suffering is you're going through a hard time, but you think that there's no reason for it. That's suffering. Pain is I'm going through a hard time, but at least I know there's a reason for it. Right? Okay, so you can come up with different words. But the concept is, is a good concept. The idea is that if we do go through difficulty, there's a reason behind it. There's a reason behind it. And ultimately, it's for the good. Or you can say it's for the good right now. You know? So what I'm trying to say is, is that let's not make this mistake of putting our trust, what we think we're putting our trust in God, but we're really not putting our trust in God. We're, we're, We're putting our trust in our own, in heavy quotations, our own prophecy. Right? And then we get disappointed and we blame God for betraying our trust. Let's not do that. Let's be conscious of that. Because that creates problems. And that creates problems in our most precious relationship, which is with God. And we can't afford to do that. We cannot afford to do that because that's all we have. That's all we have. Um, so, 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 the bank of God and, um, and to remember that while we're still in the middle, while we're still in the middle, the greatest thing that we can do is mitzvahs because mitzvahs will be able to remove the perception of multiplicity. Okay? Let's just return to the point and wrap it up right now. The point being, again, that as much as the order of this world is oneness descending into the perception of multiplicity, returning back to oneness, as much as that is seemingly the order of the world, on a deeper level... It's all oneness, and the oneness never goes away. And it's just our perception that there's multiplicity as the middle step. And we have to understand that the more light that we can bring into the world during our lives every single day, the more we can reveal the oneness that's there right now. And the more, by doing that, we can actually usher in the ultimate oneness that we're destined to achieve. God willing, it should be soon.